Amen. What an awesome time of worship this morning. It is so good to sing and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together this morning. Well, we're going to do something now that we do typically. If you're, if you're not normally with us, uh, let me set this up just slightly to say that three out of the four Sundays of a given month, at this point, we dismiss our kids who are sixth grade and under to what we call kids crew worship. It's a time of worship designed specifically for them, and they meet upstairs in our kids crew room. And so that is just beyond the exit on this east side on the second, the second floor, the second level. And so I want to dismiss our kids now to head upstairs for kids crew. And parents, if you're comfortable and your kids are in this age category, we encourage you send them that way. After the service this morning, you'll find them upstairs. You'll have to go claim them, but they'll be, they'll be as I mentioned already, just beyond the exit on the second floor in what we call our kids' crew room. And if you want to go with them, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you want to go and see where it is or if that might help them to feel a little more comfortable, then please, by all means, go with them this morning. For everyone else, I encourage you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. Now, what we've been doing the last several weeks is we have been studying through the gospel of John in, in this particular moment in time, this particular moment that takes place between John chapter 13 and John chapter 17. And although we've been studying this over the course of several weeks, in reality, these events took place in a matter of maybe in, in uh, we might say a mere minutes, uh, hours at the most, as the disciples are gathered together with Jesus for the Passover Seder, for what we now refer to as the Lord's Supper, but the last supper that they shared together. And then they transition from there in the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see Jesus pray this powerful prayer in John chapter 17. And along the way, as they're traveling, we have what's called the Passion Discourse or the Paschal Discourse, where Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's giving them these words of instruction in their last moments together before his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion on the cross. He is instructing them of how they are to live in light of the fact that he is going to go away and he will send the Holy Spirit to come. And he even tells the disciples, you don't understand everything that I'm telling you now. You won't, be, you won't know everything that I'm talking about. You won't make sense of all of this yet. But after the resurrection, after these things that are coming, then you will understand this in its fullness. And even that, the disciples didn't fully grasp or understand what Jesus is saying. Nonetheless, he's preparing them for life after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension, when the Holy Spirit would come and dwell among them. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to read in John chapter 16 together. And so let's just jump right into this text, beginning in verse 16. Now, if you were here Friday night for our Good Friday worship time, we studied John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24 together. We're going to cover some of that ground again this morning, and we're going to keep reading to the end of the chapter, culminating with this bold statement that Jesus makes, I have overcome the world. Let's read together. In verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. 
Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, seven times between John chapter 13 and the end of John chapter 16, Jesus makes this statement. Truly, truly, I say to you. This is number six. And anytime he makes that statement, you can count on the words that follow are important instructions that he's going to give them. So truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Friday night, that's really where we dug in. That's what we looked at Friday night. The fact that Jesus told his disciples, you won't take this like the rest of the world will. You will weep, you will lament, and the world will rejoice. But there's coming a day, he says, when your sorrow will be turned into joy. By the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, our sorrow can be transformed into joy. Jesus says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give to you. And until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God, Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own house, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What a powerful statement. What a bold declaration on behalf of Jesus. In this world you will face tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This morning, we want to see how the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that, in fact, he has overcome the world on our behalf, that we may know peace with God. And so three things that I want us to see as it relates to this this juxtaposition that Jesus is talking about here between his disciples and the world. Go all the way back to John chapter 15 in verse 18. And Jesus tells his disciples, we studied this a few weeks ago. He tells his disciples, look, the world is going to hate you because it hated me first. So when the world hates you, understand that you're not alone. They hated me in the same way. In fact, he's telling his disciples, take heart, take courage in the fact that the world hates you. Now he's not talking about the world world in a physical planet, right? He's not talking about the the physical planet. He's talking about the world, the cosmos. That's the Greek word in the sense of a a, a system of this world. A worldview is a word that we would use today to describe this. So he's talking about a worldly way of thinking, a worldly worldview, a worldview that is not kingdom focused, that is not 
kingdom-centric, but that is worldly-centric. Or the, the plainest way that I know to describe that, that, that difference, that the gap that exists between the, the, what we might consider a, a Christ-like mindset and a worldly mindset, a worldly point of view, is just sim- simply the central focus of the, of the point of view. The point of view that is Christ-like is centered around Jesus and the worldly worldview is centered around the things of this world, the things that are now, the things that are here in front of us. And Jesus is saying, the world doesn't understand this. The world is going to celebrate my death. You will weep and mourn, but the world will celebrate these things. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. So we see this this tension between believers and the world. And we're going to look at that in three different levels here as we understand that Jesus has overcome the world for us. First of all, we see here, he's talking about troubles in the world, the trouble that we face in the here and now in this moment. The word that he uses here is translated in this version that I'm studying and and reading from the English Standard Version as the word tribulation. But the word is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as the word trouble. In fact, if you have an NIV, the New International Version, it uses the word trouble here in this in in its translation of this verse. Jesus is saying, you're going to face tribulation. What does he mean by tribulation? Trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world. Yesterday was a beautiful day, wasn't it? We had a a great time with Easter egg celebration here across the parking lot yesterday. And, and, And beyond that, it was just a great day to be outside, a great day to have fun. It felt like spring. It felt like, you know, things are coming to life and things are starting to warm up. And our kids were outside playing last night well after dark. My younger children especially were outside and they were with some of our neighbors who were their good friends and they were riding bikes and they were, you know, just playing, just kids outside having a good time. And it occurred to me as I was thinking about that, you know, the world that my kids have grown up in in many ways is so vastly different from the world that I grew up in. I'm 41 years old and uh, to some of you that may seem like that's not that old at all and to others of you that probably seems ancient, right? I'm in that, that middle phase of life. I'm old enough to remember things differently from the way they are now. Old enough to have a little bit of perspective that I can now be the old guy that says it's not like it used to be, right? The world that my children are growing up in is not like the world that I grew up in. When I was growing up, playing outside after dark was like a regular thing. We did that all the time. But honestly, it doesn't happen all that much nowadays. And part of that is maybe because the way the world has transitioned with, you know, we didn't have all the video games and all the entertainment and cell phones and all that. But part of it is just the fact that our world, it seems like increasingly, is a troubling place. You don't have to look very far into today's headlines to find examples of trouble in our world. We live in a time when our lives are surrounded by troubles all about us. We, we know what it's like to see trouble in the world. The disciples knew what trouble was like as well. They were troubled. In fact, they were troubled by a number of things. Even in this moment, they were troubled by what they didn't 
understand. Jesus is telling them things like, I'm going to go away. The world is going to hate you. You're going to weep and mourn, and then your mourning is going to turn into joy. They didn't understand all of this. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. He even acknowledges that fact. You're not going to know all of this. You're not going to understand all of this now, but later this will make sense. Later you'll understand what I'm talking about. They were troubled by what they couldn't understand. They were troubled by just merely by the fact that that none of this fit their expectation. What Jesus is describing is not the picture of the mighty Messiah that they had envisioned. Days before this, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on what we now refer to as Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey. And, and we talk about that on Palm Sunday and we celebrate Jesus riding in, the, the, the ushering in of the final week, the, the, those last moments. But really, if you think about it, it's kind of a comical scene. Have you ever read ridden a donkey before? And, and riding a donkey is not like riding a horse. Horses have, you know, this, this sort of majesty to them. Riding on a horse is, is, is beautiful. They're beautiful animals. Donkeys, not so much, right? And here Jesus is bouncing along these, these rough city streets on the back of a donkey. It's not the picture of what the disciples expected, of what the Jews expected. Because what they expected is that the Messiah would come, he would overthrow their Roman conquerors, he would reestablish Israel in all of its splendor, in all of its glory, he would expand their borders beyond what they had ever known, and they would reign forever and ever as the chosen people of God over all the other peoples of the world. And Jesus shows up and he says things like, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says things like, you're going to have trouble in this world. They hated me. They're going to hate you. You're going to suffer. But, but understand this, I have overcome all of this world. The disciples were troubled because this did not fit with their expectation. More than that, they were troubled just simply by the fact that Jesus was telling them that he was going away. The very fact that Jesus had said to them minutes before this, he had said to them, I'm going to go away. And, and I tell you what, guys, it's actually better for you that I go away because unless I go, the helper won't come. But when I leave, then the helper will come. We talked about this, right? Who among us, if we had the choice, wouldn't choose Jesus here with us in the flesh, in the person? We could reach out. We could touch him. We could talk to him. We could know him. And yet Jesus told his disciples, look, it's better if I go away. The disciples were troubled by this. this. They were troubled with all that they were faced with in the world. And we can relate because the truth is we're troubled by the world that we live in today too, aren't we? Doesn't this world throw a lot of things at us that are troubling? Isn't it true that, that it, it seems oftentimes as though our world is dominated by darkness? Doesn't it seem to you that when you look at the world today and you see the problems and the pains that plague our world, doesn't it seem like this world is broken and we wonder sometimes, can it ever be fixed? I mean, is Jesus just going to have to come back and make all things new? Is that the only hope that we have? This world that we live in is troubling in so many ways. But here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I know that you're going to face troubles. I know that you're going to, in fact, you should expect trouble in this world. But you can trust me because I have a plan. 
And that's really the second part that we see. We see trouble in the world, but we see trust despite the world. Despite all the world that could throw at them. Despite all that the world might have to beat them down. Despite all the world might do to punish them. Despite all the world might do to persecute them. Jesus is saying, guys, it's going to be okay. Trust me. Trust me. Despite all of this. The disciples trusted Jesus, but the problem is that their trust was being tried by their troubles. They trusted him, but the problem was when they trusted him, all their problems didn't go away. Can you relate? See, trusting Jesus is not a guarantee that all the problems in this life will vanish or disappear. Trusting Jesus does not mean that you will have, that you will have life without any problems, without any worries, without any concerns. In fact, anyone that would tell you that is lying to you because it's not what Jesus himself said. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble, but, and that word but is so important. That word but is so important because in that word we find this hope that we can trust Jesus. We feel pressured by the uncertainty and the trouble in our world. I would say as much as anything, ultimately, the foundation of the troubles that we face in this world is just simply the fact that our world is broken and and fallen because of sin. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah prophesied about this in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 the prophet Zechariah said that you will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter Jesus told his disciples tonight you will scatter but I won't I won't leave you alone you will abandon me when times get hard when the going gets tough you guys are going to run but know this I will never run from from you. I will never run from the world. I will never run from what I must face. Jesus is telling his disciples, you can trust me. You can trust me. Their trust might not be worth much, right? The disciples said, Jesus, we trust you. We do. We trust you. But he told them, yeah, you you trust me, but in a few minutes when things get hard, you guys are going to scatter. Their trust, the disciples' trust might not be worth much, But listen, but Jesus' trustworthiness is. It's worth everything. Their trust might have limits, but the power of Jesus knew no limits. And so when he says, you can trust me, you can anchor your life to that truth. You can know that Jesus can be trusted. Why? Well, Jesus says this. He says, take heart. That's where we find our trust, isn't it? I mean, if, if we're honest, that's, that's how we know that we can trust him is because the God of the universe, the maker of everything, the one who holds the world in the palm of his hands, Jesus, our Messiah, says to us, take heart. That word, take heart, is such an important word. In fact, anytime that word appears in the New Testament, this word take heart, it's an imperative. An imperative means it's a command. It's an instruction. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying in any case where he uses this word, he's, he's not saying, hey, maybe you ought to take heart. He's giving an instruction, take heart, take courage. In Matthew chapter 9, we see two other interesting uses of that phrase. So the first instance that we see in Matthew chapter 9, if you look in verse 2, you see that some people have brought a paralytic to Jesus. 
And Jesus looks at this man who's paralyzed that his friends have brought carrying him on a mat. And Jesus says, Jesus has compassion on him. And in Matthew chapter nine, verse two, he says, take heart, son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And everybody who's standing around says, what? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he can say your sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And Jesus knowing what they're thinking and hearing the murmurs says, you're right. But to show you that I have the power to forgive his sins, he says to him, son, get up and walk. And the man stood up and walked away, healed. Only moments later in in Matthew's account, we see that Jesus, Jesus is following a crowd who have come to him and said, oh, Jesus, come quickly. There's this little girl and she's dying. Master, come that you might save our little girl. And along the way to heal this little girl, there's a woman who has an issue of blood and she reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and immediately she's healed. And Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? Knowing that the healing power had gone out of him. And the woman spoke up and said, it was me. And Jesus looks at her, Matthew chapter 20, or excuse me, 9, verse 22. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart. Take courage. Trust me. Jesus is telling his disciples, take heart, guys. It's going to be okay. You may not understand all of this. You may not know everything that's going to happen, but trust this. You can take heart. You can take courage in this Our trust is tried by our troubles, much like the disciples. But we can take heart. We can trust in Jesus. When we believe in him, our faith will never be shaken. It will never be put put to shame by, by trusting in Jesus because he has overcome this world. Do you struggle with doubt? Do you ever find yourself struggling with doubt? You, you, you read all this, you hear all of this, but honestly, there are moments when if, if, you're being, if you're being real, if you're being honest, you would say, but I have doubts. Even the disciples doubted. And they lived with Jesus for three years. It's okay to wrestle with doubts, but can I encourage you when you face doubt, Rather than running away from Jesus, run to him. When you face doubt, rather than turning away and saying, well, there must not be an answer, come to the source of all wisdom and truth and find your answers there. Jesus says, trust me. Look, you may not know everything. In fact, let me just put it out there. You won't know everything. You can't know everything. But are you willing to trust the one who does? You may not have all the answers. You may not see everything that's coming down the road, but are you willing to trust in the one who sees, who knows, and who says to you, take heart, take heart. We can have trust despite the world, despite what we face in the world. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. He has triumphed over the world So we're going to have trouble in this world, but we can trust Jesus despite all that we face in the world. Why? Because ultimately we know that Jesus Jesus has triumphed over the world. That's what the resurrection is all about. The resurrection shouts at us that Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus assured his disciples that he would triumph over their trouble by the power of his resurrection. But I want you to notice something here because this is subtle and and, and we miss it at first pass if we aren't careful. Notice the particular wording of what Jesus says to his disciples with this last phrase. He says, I have overcome the world. 
Now think about the timing of all this. This is happening before Jesus' arrest, before his trials before Pilate and the high priest, before the crowds shouted at the top of their lungs, crucify him, before the Roman guards punished him and scourged him and then nailed him to a cross that he had to carry. Before all of this, knowing what is to come, Jesus boldly says to his disciples, guys, you can take heart because I have overcome the world. How could Jesus say that? How could he say that he has overcome the world when in fact he has not yet overcome the world Because Jesus knew that there was no power in this earth, no power of of, of man could stop what he was going to do. Or as we sing sometimes, we sing no power of hell, no scheme of man. There was nothing this world could do to stop what Jesus was going to do. And so he could boldly declare, I have overcome the world. You know, in our world today, we still face a lot of troubles. We still have to trust Jesus. And that trust for us is rooted in this same promise that Jesus made to his disciples on the night of his arrest, the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. For us today, our hope, our faith is anchored to these promises that Jesus can be trusted because he has overcome the world. How do we know that Jesus has overcome the world? I suppose that there are many ways, but none greater than this. On that Easter Sunday morning, when the disciples and the women who followed Jesus went to his tomb, they found an empty grave. Praise God, when they, went to, when they went to anoint the body of Jesus and prepare him for his final rest, they found that his body was gone. And instead there was an angel in its place who said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he told you he would. Jesus has overcome the world so that you and I might be forgiven and set free. This is the fullness of our hope. This is the source of our trust. This is what carries us when our, when our lives are tried by the troubles of this world, is knowing that Jesus has overcome this world. And there's nothing this world can throw at us. There's nothing that this world can do to take the victory that Jesus won on the cross away from you. Paul assures us of that fact in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor anything uh, in this world or anything to come can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing in this world is greater than the power of Jesus' resurrection. So we can take heart. He has overcome the world for us. What are you facing today? What troubles are you against? What problems and burdens do you bring into this place this morning? Can I tell you that no matter what it is, I'm assured of this truth, that Jesus has overcome 
whatever you're facing, whatever you're against, whatever problems might plague your life, whatever troubles might be trying your faith, I promise you this, Jesus has overcome by the power of his resurrection and there's nothing that this world can throw at you that he hasn't already conquered. Would you be willing today to simply surrender your life to him, to trust him, to take those problems, to take those burdens, to take those trials and simply leave them at the foot of the cross. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response. We refer to it as a time of invitation because we're inviting you to respond by faith this morning to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you know there's never been a moment when you have surrendered your life to him. Then may I say, friend, what are you waiting for? What, what else could there be in this world that has the power to overcome? What other hope, whatever promise might you trust in that can guarantee you this, that, that it is overcome? Nothing else in this world has this kind of power. Nothing in this world offers this kind of hope. Would you be willing today to surrender your life to Jesus, to make him the Lord and the Savior of your life? Maybe you're here and, and, and you're weighed down by problems, burdened down by the trouble that you face in this life. Can I tell you, nothing that this world has has the power to take away the hope of Jesus from you. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in life is gonna go great all the time. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. It doesn't mean that you won't have worries, that you won't mourn. But know this, Jesus has said, your mourning will be transformed, your sorrows transformed into joy. And the joy that Jesus gives is a, world, is a joy that the world cannot take from you. Why? The world didn't give it. They can't take it away because it's anchored to the hope of Jesus. And Jesus says this, I have overcome the world. Today, would you be willing to trust him? In a moment, as we sing this song of invitation, this song of response, we would encourage you that if you're, if you're here and you feel like you're just you're needing prayer, maybe, maybe what you need to do is respond in, in some kind of a, a, a way that, that is just taking a step of faith, outwardly demonstrating the faith. And, and so you need to come forward this morning, perhaps to kneel here at the altar, maybe to pray with one of our staff, just, just something that visibly, demonstrably says, I'm stepping out on faith. I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm following him, knowing that he's overcome everything in this world. Then would you do that? Would you respond in obedience and faith during our invitation? And if you're here and today is the day that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, then we would offer this simple invitation to you as well. Would you come? Let our staff pray with you. Let us lead you through a prayer of faith confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, turning away from your sin, turning to him, acknowledging his power over sin and death, that he might fill you with this hope, that he might send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, just as he's promised his disciples in this very text in John chapter 16, the passage that we studied last week. Would you receive the fullness of that promise by trusting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Today, again, our staff will be here at the front. The song that we're going to sing says this, come to the altar. And that's really what this is this morning. This is the altar. This is the place where we lay our lives before him, where we come to the foot of the cross and we say, Jesus, in spite of all that I, I face in this world, in spite of all the trouble in this world, I choose to trust you, believing that you have triumphed over the world, trusting in the power of your resurrection. Would you be willing to surrender to him, to trust him and respond in faith today? Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, even now in this moment, 
move in our midst. May you stir in our hearts, Holy Spirit. May you move among us, pointing the way to Jesus, that we might trust in you, that we might trust in your overcoming power, that we might surrender our lives to you, believing that you, that you, Jesus, have overcome this world and that by faith in you, we too might experience that power in us. Stir in us, move in us. As we respond in humble obedience to you, we pray now in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As we stand to sing this song of invitation, our altar is open this morning. Our staff will be here at the front ready to pray with you. We would challenge you. Would you be willing to step out in bold faith today to surrender your life to him, to respond in obedience as God moves, as he stirs in your heart today, that you might experience the power of his victory, his overcoming power alive in you as we sing this song.